now let's turn to our Bibles. We're going to be looking at the book of James. Not the book of James Mulvaney, uh, but the, the book of uh, James, the writer, uh, the brother of Jesus. So we're turning to page, it's coming up on the screen, page 1,213. Page 1,213. And I'm going to read it for us. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and do not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now for Jago. Would you be with him as he speaks? We pray that each person in that chapel would know your love for them and what you've done for them. And we pray right now for us. Would you help me as I speak? Would you help each one of us listen what it is that you are saying to us as individuals and as a church? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, this term, midweek, we are going to uh, be looking at uh, the positive side. We're going to be looking at the, the joys of a life enjoying and knowing God. And if you're not in a connect group, can I encourage you to sign up? Please do head to the Get Connected stand at the end of the service. And then uh, on Sundays, what we're going to be doing this term is we're going to be looking at the dangers of a life that is, is pulled away from God. So in midweek, we're going to be looking at the joy of being pulled towards God. And uh, then it, on Sundays, we're going to be looking at the dangers of what it means to be pulled away from God. These different dangers. Now, you might be thinking, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. What's with a good cop, bad cop routine? I mean, life's sort of hard as it is at the moment, isn't it? You know, the world is going through a tricky time. You've got no idea what challenges I face during my week. It's just enough to just enter the doors of this building on a Sunday morning. But James, he's, he's not naive about the battles that you and I face. You know, bury your head in the sand if you like. But James offers you wisdom. And if we're going to have integrity as followers of Jesus, we don't get to pick and choose which bits of the Bible we want to look at. We want to look at the whole of the Bible. Now, James, as I said, is the brother of Jesus. Now, I understand the brotherly dynamic. I'm one of three brothers. And, you know, you can just imagine James is there, the brother of Jesus. And it's like, so, Jesus, perfect man, the greatest man that ever lived, savior of the world. Now, James, what are you going to be singing for us this evening? 
He says there in verse one, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, he's watched his brother very, very closely. And he has come to the realization that his brother is the savior of the world. And he's now passing on that wisdom to you and me, of the one that he now calls, the brother that he now calls his master and his Lord. Now James, he he jam-packs this letter with imperatives, with things that you and I need to do. Now, we don't really like the sound of this because it doesn't really sound like grace, does it? The thing is, is that uh, Paul, he, St. Paul, he was often writing to, to Christians who uh, needed, who were new believers, and they needed to know that it had all been paid for on the cross, that there was absolutely nothing that they could do to earn their way and earn their salvation. And what James is doing is he's writing to Christians who think they're all sorted. They're a little bit cavalier with grace. They're a little bit transactional about what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And he says there that in verse 1, I'm writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So in other words, that's us. It's the Christian diaspora scattered throughout the rest of the world. You know, it's not easy being a follower of Jesus in an increasingly secular environment. You rebels, you. But we are not looking at James's letter this morning because we're particularly hardcore Christians. We're looking at James's letter because we need Jesus just as much as the next person. And today we're looking at the danger of being double-minded. The danger of being double-minded. Now James, he uses this phrase himself in, in, in verse 8. And if you like, it's the, it's the theme of the entire letter. So all the talks that you're going to hear for the rest of this series all basically revolve around this theme of being double-minded, this danger of being double-minded, double-hearted, double-souled. And James, he writes about this danger within a context, within the context of, of trials and wisdom. So right there in in verse 2, James says, consider, consider. He's interested in in how we think about the trials that we face in our lives. And what does James say? He says, consider it pure joy. Now, I just told you that we're looking at the danger of being double-minded, but that that sounds quite double-minded to me. You know, consider it joy when you go through trials and when you go through suffering. But, but James, he, he's not writing from some higher plane, pontificating. He is uh, under constant threat of persecution himself and violence as an early church leader. They went through famine in Jerusalem. And, and soon after writing this letter, James himself will lose his life. He will be martyred for Jesus Christ. But he also says there in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, we all know, don't we, that there's, uh, there's something called the comfort zone, the comfort zone in our lives. Now, when, when we're infants, we need to spend as much time as possible in the comfort zone. We need to get all the comfort and love and affection that we can get our hands on to, to become a healthy human being. But then there comes a point, doesn't there? There comes a point when for our growth, 
you and I, we need to step out of the comfort zone. And what we realize is that for us, the real growth happens when we're not in the comfort zone. And the thing is, God, he, he, he wants mature Christians. He doesn't want baby Christians. He wants us to grow and to become mature and to be people that live the fully-fledged lives that he won for us on the cross. And so when James is writing here, he is writing about what it means for us to step out of the comfort zone and, and into the, the growth zone. In verse 4, he says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And that's the good news of this series, is that if you opt into this teaching week by week, God, he wants to shape you, he wants to grow you, he wants to mature you, to live a life that knows that you are made for more. And what we see is that God, he will harness. He will harness and he will use the the trials and the suffering that we face in our lives to grow us into the people that he wants us to be. So how do you how do you choose joy in suffering? How do you choose joy in suffering? Well, I am not joyful about suffering. I'm not joyful about suffering that happens to me. That's that is double-minded. But it is possible to be joyful in suffering. To be joyful in suffering. I asked actually uh, one, of, one of you this week who's going through a, a rough patch at the moment. What does it mean to, to choose joy? How do you choose joy in the face of the trial that you are currently going through? And that person said to me, to, to not choose joy, but to choose Jesus. To, to choose Jesus and the joy will overflow. You know, trying to choose some sort of disembodied joy, that, that is self-help. But we are people that are followers of Jesus and we look for God's help. And we can choose joy even in the midst of suffering. We can choose Jesus in the midst of suffering and we can know joy. If you, uh, if you put it this way, uh, in society right now, there's this thing that is totally chronic. It's dominating our public discourse. It's dominating the way that people view themselves. And it's, it's what's called the victim mindset the victim mindset. And this thing of, of being a victim, it becomes very all-consuming for people. And so what children are being taught today in, in an effort to try to combat this is, is a growth mindset, is to, to look at what they face in their life, the good and the bad, always as being an opportunity for them to grow. And for us as Christians, we know that perseverance is a place of growth. It's a place of maturity, of growing in who we are in Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's asking the question, if you are to have a growth mindset, it's asking the question, uh, is what I'm going through right now, or what I've been through in the past, is that going to make me bitter, or is it going to make, make me better? Is it going to make me bitter, or is it going to make me better? It's, it's refusing what has happened or what is happening to you. It's refusing to let that define you, firstly, firstly to, to define who you are, and secondly, refusing to let it uh, prevent you from flourishing in the future. When people go through the most heinous and unimaginable suffering, when people have had injustices done towards them, it sounds really harsh, 
But one of the first things that is said to them is you must not let this define you. You must not let this define you. And you must not let this prevent you from flourishing in the future. Because being a victim and staying in that place of victimhood, it robs you of agency. It robs you of choice. It robs you of the choice to choose joy, to to choose what Jesus has done for you on the cross as being your single determining factor. That your future is, is not defined by your past, but your future is defined by what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And so we read later in verse 12, uh, James says that not only do trials mature us, not only do they, do they grow us, but they appoint us to eternity. That this is what defines you, is your eternal status. And so you and I, we are able to replace a victim mindset with a victory mindset, knowing that we have that crown awaiting us. We have that crown awaiting us in eternity, that crown of life. To be people that know something of the victory of God, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering. And this whole area of suffering, this whole area of persevering through trials, James, he will link it with wisdom. He links it with wisdom. What does James say about wisdom? He says there in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God's love for you is unconditional. And his wisdom for you is unconditional too. This is what God is like. We read there in verse 5 that he gives generously to all without finding fault. Whoever, whenever, for all, always. You know, I'll, I'll let you in on a, on a secret. Basically, any time that you see me come forward for prayer at the end of the service, nine times out of ten, I am asking for God to empower me. Because I recognize that during my week and what I'm doing on a Sunday as well, I need God's help. I need his power. I cannot do it in my own strength. But I'm also asking for wisdom. Because I really need God's wisdom. And I know here that there's this promise that he's going to give me wisdom generously. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. And this, this wisdom is, is unconditional. So far, so good. Thank you, James. But then he goes on to verse 6, and, and James writes, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind. You know, to not doubt sounds like quite harsh terms and conditions. You know, could you make the barrier a little bit higher for me, James? Could you throw in a few more hoops for me to jump through? But what he's saying here is it's not that you, you can't ever doubt. What he's saying is, is a question of, of whether you really do see Jesus as the fount of all wisdom. You know, this is not a buffet. We do not hedge our bets. Yes, we, we place all our eggs in one basket. It's asking, is Jesus really sufficient? Either he's sufficient or he's not. 
Which one's it going to be? In the uh, American version of The Office, this character Ryan, he says this, I got away with everything under the last boss, and it wasn't good for me at all. I want guidance. I want leadership. But not just like boss me, like lead me. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. Satire can be so revealing, can't it? You know, choosing God when it suits us, when we feel like it. You know, sort of pick and mix Christianity. A little sprinkle of God's wisdom here and there just for good measure. And James, he, he goes on to write in verse 7 and 8 that, that that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You know, this is, this is essentially having, having one foot on God and doing that and trying to have one foot on the world at the same time. And it doesn't work. The, the image I actually have in my mind is of, of uh, two escalators. You have an escalator running up and an escalator going down. And, you know, I know that I have extremely long legs. And I don't care what exercise classes you do. We are not that flexible. It is not possible to have one foot on one escalator and one foot on the other escalator at the same time. You know, we don't end up doing the splits. What we really do is we just end up standing on the other side, don't we? And that, James says, that, that's a place of instability. You know, is all of you converted to God? Is all of your, is all of your thinking converted to God? Is your thinking about your family and your relationships converted to God? Is your bank account converted to God? Are your, your appetites and your desires converted to God? You know, pick a side. Jesus says, I wish you are either hot or cold. We've talked about that already this year. And choosing, choosing sin is a tragedy. But it's also a tragedy when we choose what is less than God's best for us. When we choose to live a life and all the while knowing that you and I were made for more. We, we have a natural skepticism around Christianity. We have a natural skepticism around the Bible and religious faith. And we're very quick to apply that skepticism to faith. But we don't apply that same rigorous skepticism to the Western worldview and the secular narrative that is around us the whole time. We are followers of Jesus. We do not primarily view the world through the lens of the Telegraph or the Guardian or the BBC. We view the world primarily through God's word. We don't view the world through whatever mumbo-jumbo self-help is in our Instagram feed. We stand on the unchanging and eternal word of God. You know, this radical idea that we don't start our days with our smartphones, but we start our days with the word of God and getting his view, getting his perspective on us and on the world around us. You know, Sundays, midweek in connect groups, and our own Bible reading ourselves. I hope that these will be times where we apply some rigor 
and challenge the prevailing thoughts and assumptions and worldviews that are dominating our world around us today. I hope that we will speak with an ever-increasing reverence and awe and submission to the word of God and the truths of God. What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with some of your mind? No, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Just a a, a quick heads up. Uh, In chapter 3, what we'll come to in a little while, James says that the world's wisdom is, is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. But in verse 17 of, of uh, that chapter, he says, God's wisdom is pure. God's wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Yet this is what God's wisdom is like. It's secure. It's good. It's sturdy. It's unwavering. That idea of, of persevering that we see James write so much about in chapter one, that's the choice. That's the choice that we have. Are we going to be tossed about by every rising and falling tide of popular public opinion, of our friends' opinions, or the sum total of our past experiences? I mean, that's chaos. Or are we going to be standing secure on the word of God? You get to choose. Choose your own adventure. Will you be unstable in all your ways? Or will you go for an abundance of wisdom? That is what we're being promised here. We are being offered warehouses of wisdom. So what is it that you need wisdom for this morning? Go for broke. Ask God for whatever it is that you need. You know, we think we're so clever with our preferences and our opinions and our supposedly enlightened world that seems to be bearing so much good fruit right now, doesn't it? And yet God is the eternal God. He doesn't tone himself down or doesn't tone his wisdom down to fit into our own little worlds or into the particular cultural moment that we find ourselves in today. It's saying to Jesus, Jesus, everything that I believe in, now I surrender to you. It's saying, Jesus, you are, you are so much better at running my life than I am myself. When we, when we do that thing of bowing over, of, of leaning over into the world around us, so often we lean over so far that we just fall in. Now, I think the church of Jesus Christ has got to stop being so try-hard. It's got to stop trying hard to be cool and relevant to the world around us today. You know, because that is not what we are called to be. We are not called to be a relevant person. In this passage, we see that we are called to become a resilient person. You know what happens when you become a resilient person over and above being a relevant person? When you're, you're standing on what Jesus has done for you, when Jesus really is all you need, all of a sudden you become endlessly relevant to the people around you, to the people who need to know that they are made for more. 
want to, want to change the world? Be changed. Want to desecularize the world around you? Desecularize yourself. Desecularize your thinking, your mindset. To be, as James writes in verse 4, complete. To be complete. He uses that word seven times in this letter. To have, to have wholeness and integrity as a follower of Jesus Christ. To not be double-minded, but to be single-minded. If you, if you peel behind all the dangers that we're going to be looking at this term, what you actually find just beneath the surface in this letter that James writes is hope. Is hope. It's the hope that you and I were made for more. It's the hope that actually we have a greater context than our own little lives. That you and I, we are on mission together. In, in chapter 5, verse 19, James, he writes there, My brothers and sisters, if, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I mentioned before verse 12 of our passage today this crown of life that we have ahead of us, this hope that we have. This crown of life for those that love Jesus. For those who pull people back from the brink, from a life away from God. Or as Daniel puts it, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The world offers you nothing. Nothing. And Jesus offers you everything. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Finally, James, he gets to this idea of eternity and, and persevering to eternity, persevering to the end that you and I were made for more than just today, that we are in this for the long haul. Look at those verses there from, from verse 9. James, he, he talks about taking pride in humiliation. Again, that sounds like double-mindedness, doesn't it? Those who are poor taking pride and those who are rich being humbled. But the gospel is the great leveler, isn't it? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And what matters is not your current temporary earthly status, but your eternal status. To be someone who is heavenly minded, because you know who you are in Jesus Christ. If you're poor, you need to focus on the certainty of heaven. And if you have wealth, you need to reflect on just how shaky the ground is that you are standing on. Whatever you do, do not stand on the world's premises, but choose instead to, to stand on God's promise, this promise that we have of victory and of the crown of life that awaits each one of us. This is single-minded living, and this is single-minded thinking. A, a few years ago, 
I, uh, I went through quite a, a rough time in my life. And there was a lot that went wrong, sort of all at once. And um, when I look back on it with friends that journeyed with me through it, we actually end up laughing about just how bad the comic timing of all the things that, that happened. But if I'm being honest, it, it was a, a tricky time. I, uh, I completely burnt out, and I had chronic fatigue. And simple, normal, everyday things that I used to take for granted, those things all of a sudden became very difficult, and I couldn't do anything. And all I could do was receive care. And at that time, the, the biggest thing that had to shift in my life. The biggest thing that had to shift was my thinking, was my mind, was the way that I viewed things, the way that I viewed the world. And you know, I've never felt more fired up, I've never felt more on fire in ministry, in life, than I do today. And that is by God's grace. But also, I am Speaking as one of your, your leaders, I stand before you today and I say that I lead and I live with a limp. And there is absolutely no shame in saying that. But I have come to view the suffering that I faced. I have come to view that not as a deficiency, but as a gift. That those things that I faced, those things, they're things that I never in a million years would have chosen. But I also wouldn't trade the intimacy with Jesus Christ. And what our hurting world needs, what hurting people around us need, are not Christians who tilt their heads on a 45-degree angle and say, poor you. What they need are Christians that are battle-worn, that have scars, that have suffered but have persevered through trials because they know the one who has carried them through. And they know this Jesus. They still love this Jesus. They actually love him even more than they did before. You know, we do not have any easy answers to the problem of suffering. But we have a savior who does suffering too. This Jesus, who was bruised and battered himself, but is somehow victorious. And so we too can be victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. This Jesus, who was not double-minded, he was single-minded. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And we are promised that place too. We are promised in verse 12, that crown of life, to be sat in that place with Jesus Christ because you and I, we were made for more. This is all about loving Jesus. This is what people who love Jesus get at the end of their lives. That we might be people that love Jesus increasingly with all of our mind, always. And praying that we would persevere, that we would persevere through trials. And we would come to a place of abounding in our love for Jesus more and more and more.
So decide today. Decide this morning to be single-minded about the one who is single-mindedly devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.